0: Welcome back to another episode of Destination Disaster. I am your host, Devin Carney. As always, just a couple of housekeeping notes before we get into the meat of the episode today. We are continuing to grow on a weekly basis, and I could not be more ecstatic. Without you all, this podcast would be nothing. The podcast has reached beyond the United States, and I cannot be prouder for those around the globe that enjoy this content as well. Please continue to share this show with your community. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Great things are happening, and next year will be no exception. If you are able to, please consider joining the Patreon. Portions of these donations are donated to smaller charities throughout the community, and while I fully support the mission of larger charities, they have the infrastructure to bring in funds whenever needed. Smaller charities are unable to do this and are in need of our support. The final bit of housekeeping for the episode pertains to the holiday upload schedule. At this present time, I believe I am on track to continue the regular upload schedule. Episode 3 of current events will be released on December 20th, An episode 4 of regularly scheduled content will be released on December 27th. With the holiday season quickly approaching, I really want to urge all of you to continue to be safe. COVID-19 is still running rampant through many communities of the unvaccinated, and breakthrough infections are still occurring. I urge you to wear a mask if you are in a group and the status of their vaccination is unknown. I know everyone has heard this for nearly two years now, but it is important that we continue these preventative measures to ensure that we can all come out of the other side of this pandemic stronger and ready for the next one. Now, let's get into the episode for today. I'm gonna give you this warning now that this episode will be graphic in nature, and for those who may not be comfortable with this content, please do not continue. This episode is a very sensitive topic for many, as these occur on a frequent basis here in the United States and globally. Mass shootings have seemingly become a regular part of the daily news cycle now, whether those be terrorism related, such as the mass shooting at the Bataclan Theater in Paris, France, lone wolf attacks, or school shootings such as Columbine. The thing that bothers me on a daily basis is that seemingly nothing is being done to counteract these shootings. Legislation is not being passed quick enough to restrict ownership of those weapons. It is indeed a fact that states that have looser gun laws and higher ownership rates are more prone to gun violence. According to everytownresearch.org, the United States is not the only country with mental illness, domestic violence, or hate-fueled ideologies. But our gun homicide rate is 25 times higher than other high-income countries. The difference is easy access to guns. This connection is just not theoretical. United States with weaker gun laws and higher ownership rates have higher rates of mass shootings. Why must the innocent suffer at the hands of incompetent leadership in those states with looser gun laws? The Constitution was written at a time when the nation was small and united, and when our largest foe was the British Empire. The Constitution did not take into account the violence that we see today, and it is under my assumption that the Founding Fathers would not stand for this violence either. I'm not saying that all guns need to be banned, not even in the slightest, but what I am saying is that the United States is the only developed nation in the world that experiences astronomical amounts of gun violence due to the ease of access to firearms. Common sense gun laws need to be passed as well as an exhaustive federal background check. The pathway to owning a firearm should not be as simple as a swipe of your credit card. I completely understand that this won't solve gun violence in the United States, and that gun sales would probably still occur behind closed doors. What this does do is show that the government wants responsible gun owners that want to own firearms to enjoy them and respect the power that they wield. Alright, enough of that. What exactly is a mass shooting, and what has to happen for that classification to be made? The Congressional Research Service defines a mass shooting as multiple firearm homicide incidents involving four or more victims at one or more locations to one another. The FBI definition is essentially the same. Terrorism-related mass shootings are classified as terrorism no matter the location or number of victims. Now, within this definition comes the type of mass shooter, and according to the U.S. Department of Justice, there are five classifications given. This article was written in 2019, so the figures that are given may be off as those numbers are fluid and always evolving. The first classification is the K-12 school shooter, based on an analysis of 13 mass shooters and 54 attempted mass shooters. Of this analysis, 85% are usually white and 100% of the shooters have been male. 91% of the shooters are students or former students of the school. 70% have a history of trauma, and 92% of shooters are suicidal. The schools affected tend to be suburban or rural at 92%, 98% of the shootings occur in the public school system, and 93% of these events are at high schools. The shootings most often occur at the start or end of the school year, in September or May. Some 87% of K-12 shooters leak their plans ahead of time, and 85% show a high degree of planning. The majority of the shooters have a previous interest in guns and 80% of the times use multiple guns belonging to family members. The second classification is the college and university shooter. This is based on an analysis of 9 mass shooters. They are usually non-white, 11% are black, 45% Asian, and 33% white. 100% of these shooters have been male. 78% of these shooters are a current student at the university. 89% have a history of violence, 67% have a history of childhood trauma, and 100% are suicidal. Some 89% of college shooters use legally obtained handguns and 78% leave behind messages about their crimes such as videos or manifestos. These shootings most often occur at large urban public universities. The third classification is the workplace shooter. This is based on an analysis of 48 mass shooters. 96% 96% have been male, in his 40s, who is an employee of the shooting site. 78 are having trouble at work. Workplace shooters don't have a racial profile, as 40% are white, 30% are black, and 10% are Latino. They tend to use handguns 85% of the time, and 71% legally own the weapon. About 90% of these shootings occur at blue-collar job sites, and 83% of the perpetrators have been recently fired or suspended. Some 80% of workplace shooters are suicidal and 31% have a military background. The communities where workplace shootings occur tend to be largely white with low rates of college education and high rates of unemployment, most often in the south or west. The fourth classification is the House of worship Shooter. This is based on an analysis of 11 mass shooters. 73% are usually white, and 100% have been males in their 40s who are 73% suicidal. Some 78% of such shootings involve Christian churches, followed by 16% in synagogues or other Jewish meeting places, and nearly 50% of perpetrators know their victims. Every one of the perpetrators used a handgun, and 36% also used an assault rifle. These shootings show a low degree of planning and are more targeted, often motivated by family issues at 36% or racial or ethnic hatred at 40%. Some 73% of church shooters have prior criminal records and violent histories. Fifth and final classification is the retail restaurant shooter. This is based on an analysis of 46 mass shooters. 57% are white, 17% black, and 100% have been a male of about 30 with no connection to the location. Some 65% use one gun, typically a handgun at 67%, one-third show evidence of a thought disorder, 67% have a violent history, 71% have a criminal record, and 22% have a military background. Only 9% of these attacks demonstrate a high degree of planning. This category has seen the largest increase in recent years. A question does pop up when reviewing these attacks. Why are mass shootings not classified as domestic terrorism events? According to the FBI, domestic terrorism is defined as violent, criminal acts committed by individuals and or groups to further ideological goals stemming from domestic influences, such as those of a political, religious, social, racial, or environmental nature. In my opinion, and this is strictly my opinion only, many of these past mass shooter events could fall into a lone wolf category of terrorism. Many of these mass shooters are attempting to promote an ideology, especially those who commit attacks against places of worship and those that have a great deal of planning considered. One of the only ways that we can better prepare is if we take historic attacks into account. Identifying key behaviors and attitudes taken by the shooters can not only help to prevent the next mass shooting, but help the shooter receive the psychological help he or she needs as well. Increasing access to mental health services and educational programs could significantly help to decrease the prevalence of mass shooting events. Now, as we begin looking into past mass shootings, there will be descriptions of graphic violence, so if you are uncomfortable with these descriptions, please cut your episode short here. What was supposed to be a fun night on the Las Vegas Strip at the Route 91 Harvest Country Music Festival turned into a fight for survival. Lone gunman Steven Paddock began firing from the 32nd floor of his hotel room at the Mandalay Bay Resort into a crowd during the Jason Aldean set. Many didn't immediately notice that the popping sounds were gunfire and initially thought those sounds were fireworks. Until innocent citizens began falling and screaming for help. Paddock fired into the crowd of 22,000 without regard for who he was aiming at. According to the FBI, There is no apparent motive for the shooting, and the absence of a single motivating factor is not unusual. This places Paddock within the typical profile of other mass shooters who are prompted to violence by a complex merging of various stressors. There was no manifesto, no suicide note, nothing left behind to explain the attack. But investigators believe part of Paddock's motivation was his desire to die by suicide and to attain a certain degree of infamy via a mass casualty attack. The totality of this attack only lasted 11 minutes, and once the smoke cleared, this shooting would be the deadliest in modern American history, 58 innocent concertgoers would be dead and 546 injured. The Orlando Pulse nightclub shooting occurred in the early morning hours of June 12, 2016 between 2 a.m. and 5 a.m. This shooting is the single deadliest event against the LGTBQ2S Plus community in the United States and the deadliest terror attack to happen in the United States following the 9-11 attacks until the Las Vegas strip shooting in 2017. At approximately 2 a.m., as last call was being announced, Omar Mateen, the shooter of this attack, entered through the southern entrance armed with a Glock 17 9mm pistol and a 6-hour MCX semi-automatic assault rifle. Prior to the shooting, Mateen claimed allegiance to the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, as Mateen entered the club, he began senselessly shooting and killing whoever he could hit. Over 100 police officers along with the FBI were dispatched to the scene. In the hours-long standoff, Mateen claimed to have enough explosives in his vehicle to take out several city blocks and that he had explosive vests and which strap them to the hostages. Negotiators were unable to make any progress with Mateen and decided at approximately 5.07 a.m. to breach the club to take Mateen out. Initially, unable to blow a large enough hole in the exterior wall of the nightclub, a policeman drove an armored bearcat through a wall in the northern bathroom. Two flashbangs were used to distract Mateen, and at 5.17 a.m., he was declared down. Following this senseless act of violence, 49 innocent citizens lost their lives, and another 58 were injured final attack that we're going to review here today is another brazen act of hatred here in the United States that occurred on August 3rd, 2019. Before even entering the Walmart, Patrick Wood Crucius began firing outside in the parking lot. The store manager of the Walmart managed to issue a Code Brown or an active shooter alert to his associates who immediately began helping shoppers find cover and escape through adjacent exits. This attack is described as the deadliest anti-Latino attack in recent United States history. The motive behind this shooting is described by the FBI as far-right extremism, anti-immigration, Hispanophobia, white supremacy, belief in the white genocide conspiracy theory, and the Great Replacement Theory, eco-fascism, and anti-Mexican sentiment. This shooting only lasted six minutes, but unfortunately, 23 innocent citizens would lose their lives and another 23 would be injured. It's no fact that the United States has been plagued by gun violence for decades now. I believe that without adequate policies in place, that this will continue to happen. We as Americans must work together to build a stronger and more resilient country against gun violence. It is ultimately up to us to prevent the next mass shooting. Be kind to the person next to you. If you see someone struggling, reach out and ask if they need help. We have been accustomed to just ignoring our surroundings and only thinking of ourselves. For this week, I'm not going to do a theoretical scenario, as I do not want to depict anyone being senselessly murdered at the hand of a gunman. What I will do is provide you with some very important steps if you do find yourself in a situation. Where an active shooter is within your vicinity. Taking these steps could ultimately help you and those around you survive. To begin, let's say that we're in a medium-sized retail store. You are enjoying the winter weather coming in and the holidays are upon us. As you walk down an aisle that is facing the front door, you see a masked man run in with a semi-automatic assault rifle, thinking to yourself, what is your next step? Immediately turn and run in the opposite direction and try to find an emergency exit if at all possible. According to the Department of Homeland Security, always have an escape plan in mind. Identify key exits located around you, self-preservation should be top of mind, and you should evacuate even if others choose not to. If you are unable to evacuate, find a place to hide where the active shooter is less likely to find you. This location should not restrict your movement or access to an evacuation route. If you are in an enclosed space, such as a closet, lock the door or barricade it with objects to create as much space between you and the shooter as possible. Doing this will not only prevent the active shooter from entering the space, but will create more friction for a bullet to travel through should the shooter begin shooting. Get down on the ground and as low as possible. Cover your head and torso with heavy objects that could potentially protect your vital organs from being injured. Once law enforcement arrives, Remain calm and do not start rushing the officers. Their main goal during their initial entry phase is to locate the shooter and disable him or her by any means. Rushing an officer could end badly as they could perceive you as the threat. Remain in your hiding spot until an all clear is given or when law enforcement personnel locate you. Keep your hands visible and where they can be seen at all times. Do not ask officers for help during your evacuation As they are still attempting to control the scene and prevent further violence from occurring. The first officers that arrive on scene will not stop to help the injured. Expect additional officers and emergency medical personnel to follow the initial officers. This may take some time as the scene is fluid and always changing. Once you are outside and away from danger, this should be the time when you reach out to family and let them know that you are okay. As we bring the episode this week to a close, I chose not to do a theoretical event this week as I believe sharing survival tips with you would be far more beneficial. Active shooter situations are something that I truly hope never any of you have to deal with in your lives. And as I said earlier, take some time out of your day to ask if your friends and family are okay. A simple gesture that goes a long way in someone that is experiencing a mental crisis. And always, if you do suspect that someone is planning an attack, immediately inform law enforcement. Thank you all for tuning in this week. I know this episode was a bit more graphic than usual, but with the uptick that we are seeing in mass shootings, I wanted to make sure that awareness continues to increase and that all of you are adequately prepared. Please be sure to follow me on Instagram at Destination Period Disaster, Twitter at Dest Disaster, and on TikTok at Destination Disaster Pod. If you are able, also consider joining my Patreon. The link is in my Instagram bio. The ultimate goal of this podcast is to increase community outreach and provide aid for those in lower-income communities and to those who may be homeless. Providing both the knowledge and supplies to those in these vulnerable communities will help with overall readiness. Until next week on the Current Events episode, this has been Destination Disaster.